inventors and their inventions. Welcome to Radio Cade, a podcast from the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention in Gainesville, Florida. The museum is named after James Robert Cade, who invented Gatorade in 1965. My name is Richard Miles. We'll introduce you to inventors and the things that motivate them. We'll learn about their personal stories, how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. What do Hollywood, the German Navy, and the Cuban Missile Crisis have to do with each other? Turns out they're all linked by one person, Hedy Lamarr, known in the 1930s and 1940s as the world's most beautiful woman, and recently inducted into the Florida Inventors Hall of Fame. Welcome to Radio Cade. I'm your host, Richard Miles. Today, my guest is Anthony Loader, the son of Hedy Lamarr. Welcome to the show, Anthony, and congratulations. Thank you very much. So, Anthony, your mother was both a famous actress and an inventor, and I'd like to talk about the actress part, but I'd like to begin actually with the scientist part. Many people do not know, although recently it's become more public through books and movies and documentaries, that she was a scientist and an inventor. So why don't we start and talk about what her invention was or what her patent was and what it's been used for and so on. So Hitler invaded Austria, Hedy's homeland, and she grew up very happy there. And she had to flee because of all the negativity that was surrounding her. So she actually dressed up like the maid and escaped her possessive husband and left Vienna for Paris and then Paris for London. And then she bought a ticket on the Normandy to go to New York, where she met Louis B. Mayer who was in Europe looking for fresh talent, fresh meat for his stables, for his racehorses back in Hollywood. And Hetty became a racehorse, and she had to run fast in order to keep on board. And when she started, her looks started to fade. They kind of threw her out. But early on, when she was there, World War II was raging, and she always knew about munitions and problems with radio-guided torpedoes because she was with her husband who sold munitions to the Germans, and she always knew about this problem about radio-guided torpedoes, and it always stuck with her, and, and she always wanted to help defeat Hitler and help the Allies and United States win the war. She was very patriotic. She loved America. She loved being safe. She loved being in tropical Hollywood. And she wanted to pay back. So she always thought about, what can I do to help win this war? And then she was at home, and she probably thought of frequency hopping because she had one of these Philco magic radios where you turn the dial on your Philco magic dialer, and it changed the radio station on the radio in the next room. So she said, well, look, I'm changing radio frequencies constantly here. What if we send a signal to a torpedo and not send it on one frequency, but send it on multiple frequencies in sync with each other? So only the transmitter and the receiver will know the pattern, frequency hopping it's called, and the enemy can only touch one frequency at a time and they won't get the whole message. It's just bits and pieces and all these frequencies jumping around will be secret 
And so she thought of frequency hopping, and she got a patent in 1942 for a secret communication system. So she came up with a way to do radio transmissions secretively. So the U.S. Navy during World War II, did they use this technology? No, no. Hetty asked her friend George Antile, who was a musician, who synced 16 player pianos on a symphony. And he was Hungarian and spoke German, and my mother did. And his brother was shot out of the skies by the Germans. And he, too, wanted to help win the war. So she went to him at a party, and she said, look, can you help me figure this out? I have an idea, but I don't know how to put it into realistic terms. So he said, well, I can help you. Let's transmit the radio frequencies and let's use player piano rolls to hop around in sync with each other. He was a musician, but yeah. he was not a scientist. No, and she was an actress, not a scientist. <laughs> so a musician and an actress got together and they came up with this patent and he drew his part according to piano rolls. And by the time they got it to the Navy brass, they thought it was a joke. Player piano rolls in a torpedo and a submarine. Good luck. Just go back to Hollywood, make movies, sell war bonds. She was already a very well-known actress at this point. Yeah, in she was a famous movie very star famous, in 39. So. Algiers came out, and all of a sudden, overnight, she was a huge star. But all that movie stuff didn't really satisfy her. Mm -hmm. She was kind of bored when everyone said, oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, Miss Lamar, you're so beautiful. It was all about the way she looked. And she had nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. She was born with that face. But... She did like the challenge of being creative and inventive, and she actually wanted to leave the movie business, go to Washington, D.C., work at the Inventors Council, and look at all the patents that came across their desk and try to enhance it or improve it. She said, well, let me look at these patents. Maybe I can make them better. And they said, oh, no, oh, no, you, you go back to Hollywood and be a nice actress and inspire the troops that way. So she got the patent. The Navy sat on the technology, and it eventually was used, but not until like 20 years later, right, during the exactly. Cuban Missile Crisis? Yeah, they shelved the idea. They actually did give the patent to the Sonoboy Project, which was in the 60s. And actually, it was used, but nobody knew that it was used. And Hetty should have been paid, but she wasn't paid. I mean, what was it worth, $30 billion, that idea? But at least now with people watching the movie Bombshell, which is on Netflix, and a wonderful film, very well-made film about her life. If you haven't seen it yet, you should watch it. It's very impressive. And just one more question about the technology, Anthony. So the spread spectrum, yes, right? Is it, exactly. This kind of became the basis for a lot of technologies that we all use today. Yes. Everything from what Wi-Fi, yes. Bluetooth, yes. GPS. GPS. Uh -huh. I mean, really fundamental. Right. right. It's part of your smartphone. You break up all the radio frequencies into little bits and pieces. Just your device has that pattern. So everyone's sharing the same limited radio frequencies because they're all cut up. Because they're all moved around. They're all moving around yeah. in different patterns from the source to the phone or the computer, basically. 
And this frequency hopping is widely used in all military wireless things. Like I put on a helmet 150 miles away, someone else is wearing a helmet, and we're just talking like we're talking now, and we're listening to each other like we're sitting on the porch having a conversation. So weapons have it. Laser-guided bombs use it. Cordless phones use it. Wi-Fi uses it. GPS uses it. Smartphones use it. It's everywhere. So Hedy, at the very least, deserves gratitude thought now and then. Thank you, Hedy, for coming up with this idea so we can have all this. So I read somewhere that her patent has been cited in at least 62 other patent applications as sort of a preceding or predicate technology. So it just shows you how important this insight was as a building block to, to all these other things. If we could go back to your mother and her upbringing, did she ever talk about later in life? Did she want to be a scientist as a young girl? She was raised in a fairly well-to-do family, right? Her, her, her parents her were... Was president of a big bank. I never knew about this, but it turns out that Hetty's family was or is Jewish. I've seen the family tree go back a few hundred years. There's Moses the tailor and Isaac the banker and things like that. So we are Jewish, and Hetty's very bright, and she always comes up with solutions, and inventors come up with solutions. There's problems, and they find solutions. And Hetty had a problem. There's a war going on, and what can I do to help the Allies win this war? And she knew that there was a problem with radio-guided torpedoes. So she stuck on that, and she said, if we break up all these frequencies, then no one can latch onto a frequency and jam it or interfere with the direction of the torpedo. So I'm going to do frequency hopping. That'll solve that problem. That'll make it a secret communication system. So 20 years later, when the integrated circuit was invented, things can downsize and become small enough where they could incorporate that idea. And they did incorporate Eddie's idea on torpedoes and radio communications. And 20 years after the patent was invented, the patent was 1942, 1962 was the Cuban Missile Crisis, and U.S. warships had Hetty's invention on their radios during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I don't know whether they used it, but it was on board warships, and now it's on board every ship, every plane, every computer. It's like $30 billion worth of invention is floating around. And Hetty actually never got any money nor credit. But with this movie coming out, with you and I talking like this, there's ears that'll pick it up and they'll know that this most beautiful woman in the world, as she was known as, and all the accolades came from the way she looked. And she used to say, my beauty is my curse because I can't sustain it. As a teenager and in my 20s, that's when I peek out. And then it's all downhill from there. And she had nothing else to latch on to for accolades or for attention. But this other thing she thought of, she wanted to devote her life to invention. And she asked permission to leave the movie business and just focus on being an inventor. And they said, no, 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 go back, do movies, do what you know how to do. She didn't have a close friend or a partner or someone to guide her and to encourage her to feed that wolf on her shoulder, that intellectual, smart, quick-minded, solution-oriented person she was. 
They just said, be pretty, look good, be in the movies, be superficial. And Anthony, let me interrupt for our younger listeners who may not be aware of your mom. I'm trying to think of a comparison in today's terms. I mean, she wasn't just a pretty woman. For a time, she was the top of the A-list in Hollywood. She was probably one of the most recognizable faces in the world. She's today's equivalent to Nicole Kidman or Angelique Jolie, you know, very, very recognizable What's fascinating to me is if you look at the subset of people who are inventors, very, very small. The subset of people who are famous Hollywood actors, very, very small. To have them combined in one person, I mean, she's got to be a subset of one or two. I don't think I know of any other story like hers. And as you said more than once, that she felt like in some ways the beauty was a curse. Because you were in the movie business for a while, right? Yeah. You're an actor and a producer. Mm-hmm. Your father was also an mm-hmm. actor. What was it like growing up in that environment? I'm sure from day one, right, you had to get used to having a famous mother. How did she want you to grow up? Did she want you to set aside fame and glory? What do you think her takeaway from her own life was in terms of how she wanted you to grow up? Being a little boy with this movie star, I didn't know she was a movie star. She Mm -hmm. was just my mother. So my life was normal the way it was, but it was extremely abnormal. I mean, nothing was normal about it. At what point did you realize that you that you had a famous mother? I mean, when it, when we you? went out somewhere and people stopped her on the street, and have your autograph, and when we went somewhere for ice cream at Will Wright's in Beverly Hills, like ten people used to come up to the table ask for her autograph. I was being interrupted. I knew that all of these accolades. My mom didn't really care about all that. It was kind of like a nuisance. You know, she spoke seven languages fluently. She could join in on any conversation about anything. She sounds uh, she, like she was a brilliant woman. She loved playing charades. Yeah. She was on the movie-making, movie star path, and it kind of bored her. She didn't really want to be a movie star. and She started very young, yeah. right? like a 15 or something? Yeah, she, she started young uh, in Sasha Studios in, in, in Vienna. In Austria, right? In Vienna, mm-hmm. right? And she started as a script girl and then got a little part here, a little part there. And then she made Ecstasy, the famous Czech movie where she was naked and romped naked. And she was like the first woman in the movies to have an orgasm on screen. That movie was banned in the United States for a while. Yeah, it was. And made her a household name overnight. And she kind of had to hide all that from United States audiences who were kind of prudish. Anthony, at what point did you realize the invention side of your mom? When did you know about the patent and her scientific? My mother married an oil man, and we moved to Texas. And we lived in River Oaks in Houston in a big old mansion that Howard Lee built for Hattie, actually. And we were living in a house in Beverly Hills when I was born. My mother divorced John Loder, who was an actor. That was my father, right when I was born, so I never met him. And we moved into the Beverly Hills Hotel, and then we moved down to Mexico, where she married the man who she met on her honeymoon seven years prior, Teddy Stauffer, who owned Villa Verde and uh, La Gila, which was this bar on the hillside where divers dive off the mountains into the water below. And we lived there for two years, and then we went back to the United States, And we went off to boarding school at that time when I was young. So we cried and missed our mom. And 
we went from boarding school to summer camp to boarding school to summer camp. So she never really had the patience to be a mom anymore because the movies were actually giving her uppers and downers and Dr. Feelgood. So she became erratic and impatient and short-tempered, and we were actually scared of our mother. So she went through a lot of transformation I feel sorry for her because she was a single mom trying to earn her way, taking care of us, taking care of a career that wasn't on track because they were used to gold, but they didn't have porcelain. And Hetty was special. She stood out and they didn't know what to do with her. They didn't write special parts for her like they did for Betty Davis, for example. So she kind of was, well, we need a pretty girl for this movie. So, Mm -hmm. well, let's use Hetty. Let's put her in. So they didn't really care about her film career. They didn't nourish or nurture good parts for her. So she wasn't really a huge superstar. So, so even was, as an actress, she didn't really get to develop her talent no, in, in the acting field. Right. It's just so, the beauty was right. sort of so overwhelmed everything. she was disappointed and bored and, and yeah. let down by the parts that she had. And this one thing kept sticking in her mind. She wanted to be an inventor. She yeah. wanted full time, let me think of things to improve society. And uh, she came up with little cubes that you put in a water glass, and it turned into fizzy Coca-Cola. But there was different types of acid water and this and that. So the water wasn't the same, so that didn't work out. At one point, Hedy even dated Howard Hughes, though he was the worst partner she had. He was the best partner she had intellectually because he did loan out his scientist that helped her develop that Coca-Cola cube. And she encouraged him to make faster airplanes. She bought a book on fish. She bought a book on birds. And she found the fastest bird and the fastest fish. She merged the two together. She said, look, Howard, your airplane wings go straight out. Why don't we bend them back? and see what happens. I think the plane will go faster. She said, you're a genius. And he started doing swept wings. So Hetty actually came up with that idea as well. So she was a smart cookie. And I would have loved to been with her as a scientist mom instead of as a cookie <laughs> movie star mom who had no platform to stand on. I mean, the better you look, the more we're going to love you. That had nothing to do with science. And the science and the inventive nature is what's real and what's important, what people can really hang their hats on. And Howard Hughes hung his hat on Hetty, and Hetty helped Howard, and Howard helped Hetty. And That's a great story. It's, it's, uh, she, there's a lot of little stories like that in her life. So she didn't have a friend to encourage her to go down the path of a scientist as an inventor. So she kind of let it go, and she was resigned to be a famous movie star, and the fame part of it was she was known as the most beautiful woman in the world. And how long can that last when gravity is pulling your beauty, making wrinkles, and becoming not a young, firm, pretty, beautiful actress anymore? I mean, her life was kind of sad in a way that she didn't have anyone to encourage her bright-mindedness. Right. And she 
she was very inventive and she didn't know how to add two plus two really but she was very bright-minded and she knew of the problem there's a problem the torpedo gets interfered with by the enemy it's a radio guided torpedo but the enemy takes over the signal and changes the direction or jams your transmission controller how can i fix that you know anthony that almost captures perfectly the essence of a true inventor this intellectual curiosity in which you're wanting to know the answers to questions or wanting to find solutions to problems that don't even directly concern you i mean she was an actress this was not really in her orbit but yet she had that intellectual curiosity and i was struck by something you said earlier anthony in which you said if all my mother was was just a beautiful woman and a famous actress no one would really remember her past a generation right because actors and actresses come and go depending on the generation but because of this, the invention part of her, her reputation and her memory is going to live much, much longer. She's on Because right. <laughs> that's why we're talking about her now. Right. It, uh, we wouldn't really right. be talking about her except for she had this inventive part of her mind. When she was alive and active in the 40s, all everyone clamored about, oh, you're so beautiful. And it was a short-term, superficial thing right, that temporary. everyone focused on and raised her up on a platform of superficiality. And now the science part of her is a long-term significant, not a shallow, but a deep understanding where it reaches out to millions of people helping improve their lives. So Hetty, without people knowing it, is touching most everybody's life on the planet and in ways we don't even know of right. yet. Every like, time we pick up our cell phone, right? right. <laughs> like in the future, you're going to walk into a store and the store is going to recognize you with your electronic cell phone device as being, oh, this person still lives at the same place, their credit is good, they're welcome to the store, and they go in, take everything they want, put it in a bag, and they walk out of the store, and immediately everything you took is charged to your cell phone because of the little transmitters that are in all the products for inventory control, for charging people. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that's not even happening yet that will happen with this idea. Most all military wireless things have it. The satellites have it. TRW, Lockheed Martin, they send signals to satellites that are frequency hopping so nobody can listen to it or jam it or interfere with it. And it's controlling the communications with the onboard computers on these $38 billion satellites that are going around the planet. This is truly a a revolutionary idea. And it, it reminds me of the phrase, beauty fades, but ideas last forever. That's a good point. I got to say, of all the guests I've interviewed, I think this story really captures the imagination because, again, you just sort of see this pure intellectual, pure inventiveness coming out. But yet, from a woman who was so gifted in, in other ways and, and maybe didn't get to capture that talent in many different I mean, respects. Th- she, she was living in a time where women weren't taken seriously. Yeah. They were yeah. just pieces of meat. They were just like uh, human adornments that men had and men ran the world and women were just put in the background but Hetty had to fight to be heard and had to fight to get good parts and had to fight to be taken seriously and she wasn't and she didn't have anyone on board on her side when she was going through all that to respect her or to give her the encouragement she needed to keep going down that path so the hot end people the inventors who come up with the ideas. It seems that the flow of ideas go in one direction, 
to the marketing people and the developers and to the people who buy the product, and the money comes back upstream and it stops to the inventor. But if we fed the inventor, the inventor might come up with more ideas. So we have to encourage inventors and support inventors and pay inventors to do more. We have to like include the hot end in the gratitude payments and into the monetary payments. We have to be grateful to all these people who enhance our lives. Steve Jobs, Isaac Newton, Howard Hughes, whoever it is. We need to wake up in the morning and be grateful to all these individuals who helped enhance our lives. Because without all this stuff, we would be horrible. Imagine not being able to flush a toilet or do the basics. So many people thought of so many things to make our life better. We better be grateful human beings because if we're not grateful, we can't be happy. One of the formulas to be grateful is to enjoy what you're doing. Look forward to doing something that you'll enjoy in the future. That is a great way to sum up this episode. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me this morning, telling your story. There's so much more to say. We could go on for quite a long time. Hopefully people get a chance to see Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story. Right. Bombshell, it's on Netflix? Yeah. Okay, Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story, Netflix. Encourage listeners to look that up. And your website's important, too, because you basically are making a platform for inventors to stay alive and for people people to understand what inventors went through to bring their idea to market. And your museum and your idea of promoting invention and inventors and keeping that whole stream alive with youngsters that come and see you. I'm just very touched by what you're doing to keep the ball moving Well, thank forward. you very much. Anthony, I think we're going to put you on the Cade Museum marketing team. Well, let's do that. <laughs> because uh, I'd love it. Yeah, and we encourage listeners to come visit the Cade Museum in Gainesville. What's uh, that website? It's cademuseum.org. How do you we, spell that? C-A-D-E mm-hmm. museum.org. Okay. And, and in fact, we do feature an exhibit on Hedy Lamar, an audio tour on your mom. Great. So I think people will, will enjoy seeing that. Thank you very much for well, thank appearing you. on the it's show. It's been fun. I, I mean, there's so much more to say, and we had such little time, but I hope you got something out of Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Well, Anthony. thank you, Richard. I'm Richard Miles. Radio Cade would like to thank the following people for their help and support. Liz Gist of the Cade Museum for coordinating inventor interviews. Bob McPeak of Hartwood Soundstage in downtown Gainesville, Florida for recording, editing, and production of the podcasts and music theme. Tracy Collins for the composition and performance of the Radio Cade theme song featuring violinist Jacob Lawson. And special thanks to the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention located in Gainesville, Florida. <laughs>